unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Anybody, other kids back there, feel free to come on down. If you are here tonight and you did not have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, if you want to go back to the little chapel right now at this time, uh, you'll be served. So feel, please feel free to do so. All right, Genesis, Exodus,
tonight before we do so uh any of you young boys that has had a chance to lead a song that wants to i don't want to overlook anybody have you not had a chance yet well we got, you will talk after services or i want everybody to have a chance to lead their song even if you didn't do lads to lead or song service you want to lead a song we'll help you okay we'll help you your parents can help you or whatever so we want you to feel free like you can do that so i'll talk to you after services tonight so that we can get that uh, straightened out. We are glad that you're here tonight. We especially uh, want to welcome our guests. We are always honored to uh, say hello to our visitors. Thank you for being here. I have a few updates tonight uh, that I want to share with you. First of all, just in regard to general announcements, the Golden Circle breakfast is in the morning. The bus will leave here from the annex at 830. I also want to remind you of the Freed Hardeman Associates 
annual salad luncheon. That's this coming Friday, June the 30th from 11 to 1 in the Annex. As always, it's dine-in <clears throat> or carry-out, and uh, tickets can be purchased from any associate. Uh, they're $10 each, and uh, cookbooks are also available. Want to give an update or two. First of all, uh, Chopper Taylor is in room 5209 at the North Alabama Medical Center. Uh, I talked to uh, uh, Shirley today, and uh, he's doing okay. They did an MRI. They still don't know anything. They won't know anything till tomorrow. And uh, they still don't really know what they're dealing with. It could be a stone in the pancreas, the liver area, or just maybe some infection. So they really don't know much yet. And uh, hopefully things will be okay, but we'll try to keep you updated on that. Also, uh, for the guy Gardner informed me that a young man that just graduated from Belmont High School Ashton Rojas uh, was killed tragically uh, last night in an automobile accident. Uh, that breaks our heart to think about a young man with his future ahead of him, uh, his life taken from him. I understand he had an academic scholarship to Northeast, but we want to remember the Rojas family in our prayers as we know that they're dealing uh, it's very hard to deal with this kind of loss, so let's remember them in our prayers. I believe that's all the announcements that I, I'm going to make tonight. Uh, let's close with a prayer, and then we'll have one verse of a song as our teachers go to class. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for allowing us to be here tonight to study your word. We're thankful for each person here. We pray that you'll bless us in our study of your word. Father, we pray for all those that are sick. We we think about uh, Jeremy Owens. We think about uh, Chopper Taylor in Florence. There are many others, Father, that need our prayers that are dealing with illnesses and sicknesses of various kinds. We pray that you'll be with the Rojas family, Father, as they deal with the loss of a precious individual and their family. Please watch over them, Father, and uh, we pray that you can somehow comfort and console them during this difficult time. Father, we pray that you'll continue to bless the church here at Boonville. Be with our elders and deacons and Bible class teachers and all those who serve faithfully. Father, please bless each member and help us to realize our desire and our responsibility to let our light shine. Be with us as we study tonight in Christ's name. Amen. All right. That's Jesus. This
Hello? There we go. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Jim said uh, Sister Brenda Dawson wasn't here today because she fell. Uh, and of course, she didn't go to the doctor, but she just wasn't able to be here today. So we'll see. Hope she feels better and recovers. Is she going to go to the doctor? Okay. All right. Good for her. Okay. So let's remember her in our prayers. Of course, she's still, still dealing with the loss of Brother Don as well. So please remember that. All right, as we begin our uh, class tonight, we are moving on to another aspect on the subject of marriage. And, of course, we've talked about marriage in general so far. We've also talked about husbands and the responsibility of husbands and how they are to be leaders in the home. We've moved on for a couple of lessons. We've talked about wives, how wife means weaver. We've talked about some of the responsibilities uh, of being a wife. We've talked about what an honor it is. And now we're going to move on tonight to probably some of the more extensive part of our study. God's assurances for a happy marriage. Now, our objective in this particular study, in this lesson, is to affirm God's design for and his assurances of a happy marriage. God wants us to have happy marriages, doesn't he? You know, God doesn't want us to be miserable. He wants our marriage to be an asset to us. We look at the world today, and it saddens me to think about all the homes that have been broken, even by members of the church today in many places. Uh, there are those broken homes that you might not think would be broken, but we've been somewhat shocked and surprised by some of those things that we hear. And, uh, you know, God wants us to have happy marriages. And there's some assurances and some guidelines that we can follow that will help us achieve that goal. Now, Jesus, when he answered some questions about marriage, he affirmed that marriage is a part of God's plan for happiness. Just to rehearse some uh, words of Jesus in your hearing, look at Matthew chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 4. We know these verses. But Jesus said, Have you not read that he cr who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So that right there ensures happiness. You've got to be a male or a female, right, to get married. You know, what we're seeing in our culture, I don't know how the Lord's going to let us stand much longer if we uh, keep going the way we are. Uh, but God made them male, for me, male and female. He said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man separate or put asunder. Uh, you know, Jesus is giving us this instruction for our own benefit. When he tells us to leave father and mother, uh, he's not being mean. He's just trying to 
inform us about how to have the kind of marriage that will last and the kind of marriage that will assure happiness. Uh, your spouse has to become uh, the most important person in your life. They have to take precedence above, you know, your parents and other family relationships as well. Also, we turn over to Genesis chapter 2 for just a moment as we think about God's assurances. The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Uh, now we drop down and we look at verse 21, and the Bible says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus reiterated God's original plan for marriage that we read here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so here we have God's desire for us to be uh, happy in our marriages. And so we are encouraged to rejoice with the wife of our youth, Proverbs 5 and verse 18. So here's what we want to do in this particular study. We want to look at some things that a husband and a wife can do to ensure that their marriage is happy as God intended. Now, I want to say a couple of things before we get started. What we're talking about tonight is the perfect standard. I mean, this is the perfect blueprint. It is the ideal pattern. So when we go over all these things... As we heard about this morning, being the chief of sinners, I'm the chief of sinners on uh, a lot of this stuff, okay? So when we talk about the perfect pattern, the ideal pattern, this is what we're striving to achieve. You know, Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, how? As your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, we're not perfect, we'll never be perfect, but we've got to strive to do what God wants us to do, and so... I want to make sure that we understand in the very outset of this lesson that none of us, I don't think, even come close to trying to fulfill all these things. Uh, we recognize we're weak. We recognize our shortcomings. But I think the key here is, is that we need to be open and willing to accept what God says and make the proper changes that we need to make in our lives. And so I wanted to make that clear in the very outset of this lesson, that this is the pattern that God gives us to assure us of a happy marriage. Now, I want to begin tonight by emphasizing a spiritual foundation and how a spiritual foundation contributes to a happy marriage. Now, we sing that song sometimes, the wise man built his what? House upon the rock, right? And then what happened? The rains came, the floods came, 
and it fell not. Why? Founded upon a rock. Well, what, what did the foolish man do? He built his house upon the sand, didn't he? And, uh, you know, Jesus is saying here, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, it's one thing to hear, it's another thing entirely to do. But the one who hears and does is like that wise man. Now, the one that hears and doesn't do is like that foolish man. Now, what happened when he built his house upon the sand? You know, it was destroyed. Don't you think there's a correlation there between our marriages today, failing marriages, and the right foundation that it's built on? I think there's a strong correlation there. I think marriages that aren't built on the right foundation are going to be in trouble from the get-go. Because, you know, you just look at the pressures of our world today. I mean, there's just so much we are, are bombarded with. I thank God quite often that I didn't grow up a teen during this time. You know, I'm thankful uh, I didn't grow up as a teenager facing what they have to face today. We all face things like this. You know, no period uh, in time is immune from that. But it just seems like today that the pressure is just so intense to conform uh, to culture and to the ways of the world. And so the first idea about assurances for a happy marriage is having a proper spiritual foundation. Now, in Psalms 127 and verse 1, the psalmist said, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that built it. Now, what that verse is saying here is, if a house, any house you might be talking about, whether it's a, a religious organization or whether it's a marriage, if the Lord didn't build it, those that did build it, they're just wasting their time, aren't they? They're laboring in vain. You know, we could spend a lot of time talking about the church today. And a lot of times we use this verse to apply uh, to the church of our Lord, and rightfully so. The Lord has to build it. And uh, this is important for us to understand regarding marriage. And accordingly, though, a day should not pass when a husband and wife you know, fail to read the Bible and pray. Uh, a marriage simply will not survive if the only emphasis is on physical things. Remember Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, a lot of relationships today are built solely on physical and material things. A lot of young people today, when they get married, sadly, spiritual things aren't even or rarely even considered, aren't they? And so what happens? Marriages, if they're lucky, the average, the, the average, uh, the average marriage lasts about six and a half to seven years. I think that may have dropped some since I looked at it last. But, you know, there's a reason why these marriages crumble, don't they? Uh, they crumble because the foundation is not what it ought to be. And uh, we need to realize that uh, physical things aren't going to sustain us. It's no wonder then, you know, we read about these Hollywood people, you know, uh, 
that get married and divorced and married and divorced. You know, it's just a continuous story. A lot of people like to keep up with that kind of thing. You know, two famous people get married, have kids. Then the marriage is over. They marry somebody else and on and on the cycle goes. See, religion and, and, and spiritual things aren't a part of their goal in life. And so it's important for us to understand that the physical things of life, material things, if we're focused on making money, if we're focused on having the best house, the best automobiles, the best job, if we're concerned about the social circles that we run in, if those are paramount uh, to us, then our relationship simply will not last. However, a marriage can mature, it can flourish, it can be sustained through difficult times in life when the Bible serves as its focus and foundation. Now, when you go through hard times in life, uh, if you don't have a strong faith in God, you're very vulnerable, aren't you? You're very vulnerable to uh, whatever's going to happen. Uh, to me, it's only possible for a faithful Christian with strong convictions to get through some of the things that we're put through in this life. And we need the strength of our faith to get through some of the things that we have to get through. You know, maybe one spouse becomes ill, uh, maybe critically ill, has a stroke, or, uh, you know, or whatever the case may be, an automobile accident, and they're never the same again. Uh, that commitment is not going to occur if that commitment is based upon things of this world. It has to be built upon faith in Christ. Uh, as a result of our commitment to God, as a result of our commitment to His church and spiritual things, then I can remain committed uh, to my spouse. Uh, we know the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. In other words, the Bible tells us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, how to stay right. And that's the foundation that we have to have. Uh, one unknown author penned these words that, that I want to share with you uh, at this particular time. You may have heard uh, this particular uh, poem uh, before. It says, what's a home without a Bible? Tis a home where day is night. Starless night for over life's pathway. Heaven can shed no kindly light. What is a home without a Bible? Tis a home where daily bread for the body is provided, but the soul's never fed. What's a home without a Bible? Tis a family out at sea, compass lost, rudder broken, drifting, drifting, thoughtlessly. I think that describes a marriage and a home that doesn't have the right foundation. And so I think it's very important for us to uh, consider the importance of a spiritual foundation. Now, as we talk about this spiritual foundation, I want to emphasize next the importance of a devotional life in the marriage relationship. Uh, I don't think marriage can really be everything that God intended unless a husband and wife together decide 
that they're going to build their lives on spiritual things, on a spiritual foundation. And therefore, to enhance this effort, I think it's important for us to develop a private devotional life. At times where we reflect on God's Word and we meditate upon God's Word, why do you think that a private devotional life would enhance one's relationship with God? What's the relation there? In what way would a devotional life enhance the couple's relationship with God? What do you do when, what are you doing when you have a devotional? When you read God's Word and you pray, what's that doing for you? It's what? You're faithful? Doesn't the Bible say in James 4 and verse 8, draw near to God? He'll draw near to you. You see, when we study God's Word and meditate upon the principles, that's God speaking to us, right? When we talk to God, uh, we're communicating with Him. And so one reason uh, why a devotional life is so important is because it enhances our relationship with God. Secondly, a devotional life will provide the couple with faithful spiritual counsel. Where are we going to go for counsel today? Are we going to listen to the, to the world? Are we going to listen to, uh, you know, these TikTok and Instagram influencers or Oprah or Dr. Phil? A lot of people, you know, they, they seek that kind of advice, right, about how to live their lives and how to solve their problems. But we need spiritual counsel, don't we? Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a guide unto my pathway. When we open, God, open up God's word and study God's word and allow that word to uh, penetrate our hearts and minds, we receive with meekness uh, that implanted word, it will save our souls. And it will also uh, provide and enhance the relationship between a husband and wife. I think thirdly, a couple's devotional life will assist them in spiritual battles. What kind of spiritual battles do we face in life, particularly as married couples? Anybody got any thoughts on that? What kind of spiritual battles are out there that we face? Anybody? What kind of spiritual battles have you faced before? The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this earth. I don't know what all that means, but what I do know is it means that we face a very powerful enemy, right? We face an enemy that wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our homes. And uh, as we face these intense spiritual battles, uh, we need all the help that we can get. And a devotional life, praying to God, depending upon God, focusing on that foundation can get us through those spiritual battles that we face. And then fourthly, a private devotional life will help a couple maintain their spiritual health. You know, a lot of us maybe take some vitamins, right? You ever take, you take multivitamins? Take, oh, you don't, Luther, do you? No? Huh? Yeah, too, yeah. We don't, you know, we're not as blessed as you, I guess, you know. But we, you know, we try to watch our health, right? We go to the doctor and get a physical. If something's not ticking just right with our physical body, we'll go try to find out what's wrong, right? If we're not feeling good or whatever. 
you know, we take vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin D, just name it. There's all kinds of over-the-counter stuff that we take. And, of course, on top of that, you know, we take our prescriptions, right? Anybody say that those prescriptions are no good, I'm not going to take them? Of course not. You know, if it's going to save your life, you're going to take them. Uh, if a doctor advises you to start or to stop doing something so that your life can continue, if you've got good common sense, you're probably going to listen to your doctor, right? If he starts telling you to do this or stop doing that, you'll heed that advice because you're concerned about your physical well-being. Well, how is a couple going to maintain their spiritual health? How are you as an individual going to maintain your spiritual health? Well, whatever amount of effort we put into that, we're going to see that in the results that are achieved. And that's why it's important for us to spend this time you know, talking to God in prayer, meditating, meditating upon His Word, uh, growing in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's very, very important. Now, I want to move on and talk about a challenge to a couple's devotional life. We know Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I think it's very challenging, very challenging to develop a spiritual foundation. You know, it requires, and it seems that there's interruptions, right? We have things to do. We have to travel. We have our jobs. We have business. We have illnesses that come up. We have crowded schedules. We've got to do this, and we've got to do that. And all these things around us that keep us busy seems to deter our efforts to have a spiritual life. Are there some things you do every day? What are some things you people do every day? Anybody here watch the news every day? Yeah, some people watch. They're going to do something every day. There's some things that we do every single day, whatever that might be. And we make time for that, don't we? We make time for the things that we want to do on any particular day. We have to have that same attitude toward establishing that spiritual foundation. We have to set aside the time and the place uh, wherein uh, we do that, and it's a challenge. And so to assist a husband and wife in beginning and in developing and maintaining a devotional period, there's some suggestions that are offered. Now, something kind of hit home to me, I heard from an individual three or four years ago, you know, men are to be the leaders in the home, right? They ought to be the ones that take the lead in this. And I heard a very good, rational uh, statement about why husbands and men don't do this sometimes. And the reason is, is because they feel like, you know, they've fallen short. You know, their wives and their children see them bear as you please, right? They see everything. They see your attitude and your actions and your behavior. And, you know, sometimes that's intimidating, right? Who am I as a father or a husband to try to open up God's Word and teach to my family? We feel like we just can't do this because, after all, you know, these people know everything about me. They know my faults and shortcomings and you know, I think that can be a problem sometimes as well. And uh, somehow we've got to overcome that mindset just a little bit and go ahead and, 
and do the things that we need to do. So let's, let's think about these suggestions briefly. First of all, we need to have good, useful tools ready, available for that devotional time. Uh, you need a good study Bible, a good Bible dictionary, maybe a good concordance. Uh, also, uh, maybe have a notebook or a journal to keep your personal gleanings and applications and use that journal. Maybe you can reflect back on that from time to time. Also, identify a specific time and place to have that devotional. You know, even Jesus Christ, as busy as he was, uh, spent much time in prayer. Uh, he spent some specific time uh, with his Father. Also, maybe keep a running and up-to-date prayer list. I think that's important. Who do we need to be praying for? Uh, what is something that I need to be praying for? Uh, I might add to that, you might want to keep an up-to-date prospect list. Who would I like to reach with the gospel? You know, who would, who would I like to have the opportunity to share the gospel with? And pray about that, think about that, and focus on that, and, and uh, uh, wait for those opportunities and look for those opportunities when they come. I think that's important. Also, uh, keep, uh, make up your mind to start. You know, good intentions never accomplish anything, do they? Right? I got a lot of good intentions. I mean, I got a lot of them. I, can, I, I got a whole book of good intentions. If I ever do those things, it's going to be something else, isn't it? But the point is, I got to get it started, don't I? I got to start somewhere, so I need to be determined to start it. Next, I need to be consistent. I need to be consistent with it. It's easy to let things become somewhat slack. It's easy to let little things uh, interfere uh, with our uh, Bible study and with our prayer, and uh, I think it's very important to be consistent. Now, let's look at some special benefits that a couple can anticipate as a result of their devotional life together. I want us to think about uh, what's going to result uh, when this takes place. First of all, let's see what we are, okay? Uh, a devotional life when we study and pray, it gives us confidence. It gives us assurance that we're not on this journey alone. You know, it's sad when you feel like you're all by yourself in this thing, right? Remember uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 19? 1 Kings 18, he just won that great battle over the prophets of Baal, right? He led an entire nation to repentance, didn't he? I mean, he was the champion of Israel. Nobody stood higher than Elijah. On that day, you turn over the Bible one page to the very next chapter, the very next day, and Elijah sent word to, I mean, uh, Jezebel sent word to Elijah that by this time tomorrow, you're going to be a dead man. You're going to be like one of the prophets of Baal. Now, that would bother me. I don't know if it'd bother you, but, but if somebody in power said, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead, that would really bother me a lot. And uh, the Bible says Elijah went for his life, and he sat down, and he asked that he might die. And you'll recall how that Elijah became so distraught. He became so discouraged. You know, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that hasn't bowed down yet to Baal. I'm the only one that's trying to do right. It's hard when you think you're by yourself, isn't it? You know, it's hard. But when uh, a couple uh, meditates and prays and studies like they should, that gives you the confidence that you're not alone on this journey. 
You know, the Bible assures us God does in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. We're not alone. And so a devotional period of time gives us a tremendous boost. It gives us confidence that we're not alone. Secondly, a private devotional life will assist us in our efforts to live faithfully. You know, many times we've seen people that were once on fire for God. I mean, they were really faithful. And then something happens and all of a sudden this individual quits attending the services. They seem to avoid <clears throat> the church as much as possible. Uh, you know, why does that happen? What takes place in a person's life? None of us, uh, none of us are exempt from falling away. And here's somebody that obviously seems to be faithful, and now all of a sudden they're unfaithful. They don't want anything to do with the church. What causes that? Well, they're not living faithfully to God anymore because they've gotten away from God. Whenever we get away from God, isn't it true that God didn't go anywhere but we did? That's true, isn't it? And so uh, if we can continue to have this devotional period of time, it's going to assist us in our efforts to live faithfully. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so this time of devotional will assure us that we can live faithfully. Thirdly, a couple's devotional life can help develop a sense of oneness in the relationship. You know, the Bible talks about how they become one flesh, right? And so we're in this together. Uh, we're a team. Uh, that's what the Bible emphasizes when it talks about a husband and wife becoming one flesh and one person and leaving father and mother and cleaving to your spouse. Fourthly, though, and this is important, a devotional life promotes and sustains a couple's Christian values. Where do we get our values from today? I don't know about you, I, I'm concerned about our younger generation today. You know, we see a lack of respect among young people toward older people in many, many places. We have seen on the news about these gangs of, of teenagers that are, you know, I think it was out in California, they attacked two or three Marines out there uh, near the, the Marine base out there. Uh, there's just a general lack of respect. Uh, people today aren't being taught the difference between right and wrong. Uh, relativism has taken over our country. You know, what's right for you may not be right for me, and what's right for me may not be right for you. It all is up to the individual. And uh, everything is relative. So where do we get our convictions? Where do we get our values? How do we determine, you know, what's right and what's wrong? There is an objective standard of truth in there. And the Bible determines that. And so a devotional period of time will help us to sustain those Christian principles and values that are under attack, you know, from so many, many places today. And uh, we see it all around us, and we've got to be able to uh, shield ourselves uh, from compromise. And then fifthly, 
A private devotional life will assist in developing a couple's spiritual and emotional security. Now, I love Romans 8 and verse 1, one of my favorite verses. There's now therefore no condemnation, where? To them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's a place where there's no condemnation, right? Where is that place? It's in Christ Jesus. And it's wonderful to have that confidence, knowing that His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. The Bible tells me how to become a child of God. My spirit says I've complied with that. I've been baptized. I'm a child of God. And I can have confidence and security knowing that fact. And uh, to me, it's so comforting knowing that the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario for a child of God is you get to go to heaven. That's a good deal, isn't it? That's the worst case scenario. And so there's security there. And uh, this security can be enhanced and uh, it can be developed more strongly <clears throat> through a devotional time. All right, any comments before we move on to the next point? We've got about 10 minutes. And uh, I've got some things that uh, I want to move on to the next point with and introduce at least. All right, so the first point that we've talked about, and this is the easiest part we've talked about, is the spiritual foundation. Secondly, a healthy physical relationship contributes to a happy marriage. Uh, I think about a couple on the first night of their honeymoon. The husband really wasn't sure how to tell his bride about his stinky feet and smelly socks. I don't know why she didn't already know about that. And uh, the wife was wondering how to break the news to him about her awful breath, which it seemed like thus far she had been able to hide and cover up. After some soul searching, the husband gathers his nerves and he says, I've got a confession to make. She draws closer and peers into his eyes and she says, and says, darling, so do I. And recalling, he says, don't tell me you've eaten my socks. So anyhow, I thought that was pretty good. You know, we learn a lot about each other when we get married, right? Intimacy uh, is a very difficult thing uh, to talk about, but it's something that we have to talk about uh, sometimes uh, in order to uh, gain the picture of what God wants us to be. First thing we need to mention here is that, now of course, I taught the teen class probably about six months ago, on morality and values, uh, sexual morality. We went into a lot of detail in that, which I'm not going to do tonight. We did that quite extensively in that particular class. But one point we dealt with was that God made man and woman sexual beings. God made us the way we are. We are. Uh, there's nothing that, that ought to cause us to be shameful in any way whatsoever. God made us the way we are. There's the reason that God gave us the sex drive that we have. There's a reason that he made man one way and maybe women another way were different. But God did make us sexual beings. And what does Scripture affirm after completing this creative work? How did God evaluate what he had done? What did he say? It's good, right? It's good. He said it is good. In fact, he said it is very good. 
And so that's one thing that we need to understand. A lot of people want to taboo, you know, in the church, anything that's ever said about sexuality or sex. In any, as Archie Bunker, anybody, Archie Bunker, like, shh, shh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't even mention that word, you know. But, uh, you know, this is something that we need to talk about from time to time. And so uh, the sexual relationship uh, between a husband and a wife should be very tender, intimate, beautiful, and sacred. And also the physical relationship affords both partners in uh, this to express their deep, abiding love and commitment to each other. And so I want us to begin tonight by looking at this, and we'll go probably for another five or six minutes for time expires. I want to introduce this real quick. There are five biblical principles that couples must remember and embrace regarding their sexual relationship. Five principles. I don't know if I put these up here or not. We'll see in a minute. They pop. pop up the first one. <clears throat> pop. Do the next one. Nope, that's not up there. Sorry. If you want to write these down, you'll have to write them down. Sorry. Uh, if I did a PowerPoint with everything on here, it'd take two weeks to go through it. You know, it'd be 50 pages. So there are five principles that Couples must remember, number one, sexual intimacy in marriage is good, all right? Mar marital intimacy is good. Uh, also, now of course we just talked about that from the book of Genesis, and so I, th I think we understand that. Secondly, the sexual relationship in marriage is for pleasure, okay? It's not to be taboo, it's for pleasure. Uh, if you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 5 and note verses 15 through 20, uh, the wise man there in Proverbs says, Drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street, let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then he goes on to say uh, in the last verse there, uh, verse uh, 19, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always with her love. And so Solomon uh, in the book of Proverbs, as well as in Song of Solomon and other places, emphasizes that the marriage relationship, the sexual relationship, is for pleasure. That's the second principle. Thirdly, physical intimacy is to be limited only to the marriage relationship. That's where people mess up, right? A lot of people abuse uh, the sacredness of uh, what God has done in making us sexual beings. It's abused quite often. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 2 through 4. And here Paul is dealing with a situation. I hope we got time. Paul is dealing with an unusual situation. The Corinthian culture back then, everything pointed toward the sexual aspect of human nature. Even their religion, the gods that they worshipped, uh, the religious prostitution was rampant. Uh, every aspect of their culture and society uh, were just oozing 
freedom, do what you want to in regard to sexuality. You do what you want to with anybody you want to when you want to. And there was very little regulation and uh, teaching on that. And Paul dealt, deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to the husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority of his, over his own body, but the wife. And so Paul says here very conclusively that the sexual relationship is only in the context of marriage between husband and wife exclusively. That's very, very simple. It's set forth very plainly. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable, the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, when you think about television today, when you think about the movies and television shows and dating, you know, most people today in our culture associate any form of dating, dating with a sexual relationship, right? The world doesn't even think about, you know, waiting until you're married to engage in sexual relations. It's just a part of the dating scene, right, in the eyes of the world. We're bombarded with that. Our young people are bombarded with that kind of mentality. Uh, I know we spend a lot of time uh, dealing with that particular false idea and how it's so prevalent today, you know, in our culture. You know, sometimes a, a young man will pressure a young lady. You know, he'll say, if you love me, do you really love me? Do you love me? Then you'll give me, you'll have sex with me if you really love me. You know, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, what would you say to that boy if he said, if you love me, you'll give me your paycheck that you worked hard for? If you love me, you'll give me your car. That's crazy, right? Well, that's the same thing. You know, if you love me, you'll give me your body. You know, your, your, your uh, sexuality is a very precious thing. I like, it. I like to say it this way. You know, gold is hard to get to, isn't it? It's found under rocks somewhere. Gold is precious. You don't just go out and find gold somewhere, do you? You have to work hard to find it. So gold is precious. It's valuable. It's hard to get to. Uh, what about a diamond? You know, diamonds are precious, aren't they? But diamonds are very hard to get to. They're valuable. They're precious. What about an oyster? You know, an oyster is also a very precious item, a very valuable item. But it's hard to get to it, isn't it? Well, I always say your physical body is the same way, ladies and gentlemen. Your body is precious. It's very valuable. And just like the gold and the diamonds and the oyster, it ought to be very hard to get to. And so we need to value what God values and realize the importance of remaining pure uh, in uh, our sexuality until we come to find that one and marry that individual and let that be the context in which that takes place. 
And so we need to realize today that uh, sexual intimacy is limited to the marriage relationship. Now, I'm just going to introduce the other two because it's 6 o'clock. Uh, fourthly, sexual intimacy is an overt expression of unselfish affection. We'll talk about that in more detail. And then fifthly, the sexual relationship between a husband and wife is not to be interrupted. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Now, we've got a lot more to discuss on this, but I want to introduce this point by those five basic principles. And I'll, I'll rehearse them next week when we get started, but, you know, thank you for your attention. I appreciate the way you've listened. And listen, hey, if you've got something you want to say, if, if I've said something inappropriately you feel like, if there's something that I need to add, you will not offend me. And you come to me and you feel free to say what's on your mind. If there's something else I need to be saying, if there's a, a lack in what I'm saying, or maybe I said something the wrong way, you will not offend me at all. Feel free to come to me and talk to me about that anytime. All right, y'all have a, a good evening.